Hello, everyone. Welcome back again to the Winning Ticket Podcast. I'm your host, Matt. Joining Woo! me is the usual crew. That's Dean right there. That's Joe right. and Mikey. Oh. We back. <laughs> We're back. Yes, yes, of course. Um, week three this time. It feels like the season's moving pretty quick. I don't know. I'm pretty excited just to kind of... It feels like three yeah. weeks have gone by. Yeah. Hey, time flies when you're having fun, honestly. It, oh, absolutely. But there's no better time for a football season. Cause yes. right, right. First off, before we before we get into our picks and everything, in our, in our we have a jam-packed episode for you guys. Two weeks, two ties. Now, if you guys listen to our preview or right before the season even started... We um, talked about that special. Is what are the chances of, of a tie this this year? And we have two ready. Yeah, and it's funny is, too because like the yes was minus three hundred, and I during that episode I was like I don't understand why that's a favorite because that's kind of a toss up. Yeah, and uh, I read you some stats during that episode about that. So I guess uh, the bookmakers knew something that I didn't that <laughs> more yes. games would end in ties this year because we like Matt said we got two. So if you did take action on that. You got your winning ticket. What were the odds uh, for a tie to happen every week? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think so. Every team, maybe not, maybe not in New Jersey sports books, but maybe in Tijuana. I wouldn't be surprised. (laughs) Do you guys remember? um, I I don't remember remember how many years ago it was, but when I think the Eagles tied the Bengals, and McNabb in his post game conference literally said he didn't know that there could be a tie. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember. I thought it was like T.O. No, no, it was McNabb. McNabb was just to be honest. I didn't know there could be a tie. which is pretty bad for like a, a quarterback. Oh, I have <laughs> guys. If you have all the time in the world, you could listen to me talk for two and a half hours about how Donovan McNabb is like one of the worst quarterbacks ever. Yeah, I think he's wildly overrated. Uh, he's going to make the Hall of Fame. That's such a joke. Which is crazy. He's horrible. Once he left the Eagles and went to the Redskins and then the Vikings. Read you his resume blind, and I didn't tell you it was McNabb. You'd be like, "Who was that, Brad like, Johnson?" Yeah, I was just about to say, yeah. I'm horrible. Brad Johnson, <laughs> Elvis Gerback. <laughs> Yo, I love me some good Elvis Gerback. So big episode, guys, for uh, for week three. Here we have uh, a couple different segments we're going to introduce for you guys, just to kind of mix it up, keep you on your toes, and bring a little bit of a different value to uh, each week we do record. We also have a very special guest that Joe would like to. Uh, talk about my good buddy dave essler so some of you guys may know dave uh he's one of the guys on pregame.com pregame is pretty much where all the sharps come and gather and <laughs> that's they, what i use they, yeah no absolutely they got a ton of great stuff on pregame we're not a show for pregame uh this is just genuine excitement mm-hmm. over the website they have um you know free picks galore all different kinds of articles and stuff like that for you stats and they're very transparent as well they also have something that uh, I think they were the first in their space to to kind of introduce, which was what percentage of tickets are on a game as well as what percentage of money is on a game. So you can see where the public is, uh, what the money is looking like, when it comes in and all that stuff, and that can really kind of give you an edge and make you kind of think like a, a sharp. So Dave is at the head of that. Uh, like I said, he's, he's a genius. He's been around. You guys should go on the website and check out his, his win streaks and his available picks. Um, over the last decade, he's like a little under sixty percent. So, and there's a lot. And the great, crazy thing about it, we were just talking about this at the top of the uh, recording uh, before we actually got went live is that on that website it has like a log of all his his bets and everything that he's. It's like pretty much a, just a kind of a rap sheet for him to just to kind of say like, dude, this is what I got to show for my for my name and my credibility. So, I think you guys are definitely going to like that little uh, additive to this episode. Again, of course, that's something we're trying to continue to build on with each and every episode is bringing just something different, unique, different perspective. Perspectives, and um, you know, just try to keep it entertaining for you. Definitely, he's Absolutely. very, very sharp. Absolutely, and when you hear his handicaps, you're going to realize, wow, this guy is a professional. <laughs> Three, we're actually going to go 
pretty much in, in order of uh, the, the 1 o'clock games and then just go down the line. But except we're going to start with uh, Buffalo at Minnesota. I know the uh, the guys at the table here have some juicy takes and some insight to provide. Um, Dean, let's yeah. get started. Yeah, so if you guys really want to sound like a sharp to your co-workers or anyone really that you know, um, again, we know that gambling was just legalized in New Jersey, where we are right now. So um, a lot more water cooler talk about gambling has been popping up. So I'm going to arm you guys with this little definition really quick. So the Bills-Vikings is something that is called in the industry as a correlated parlay. So that is when the underdog's point spread that they're getting is a quarter of the total points or more. So in this case, the over-under is 41, and the Bills are getting 17 points. So now if you think about it from a statistical standpoint, if the Bills end up playing defense or the Vikings' offense kind of uh, stalls a little bit, then that under is likely going to hit, and if it's under 41, then the Bills are already halfway there. Mm-hmm. Or a quarter of the way there. Right. So the percentage on those actually hitting is very high. So if you believe in the Bills in any way, shape, or form, if you've gone through a plastic table in your life, <laughs> if you've been to West New York, anything like that, if you believe that there's some life in the Bills, then um, if you want to take that and the under, I think that would be, percentage-wise, one of the best plays of the week. But... I'm going to rain on your parade a little bit because <laughs> the Bills are not going to cover the 17. I am going to sound like a homer, like my last name Simpson. <laughs> I don't care. The Vikings at home, it, they're just a better team. They've allowed 17.4 points per game against opponents in 2017 in Minnesota, 19.2 in 2016. Those are the two years that U.S. Bank Stadium has been open. This defense, honestly, they could have no offense, and I think that the defense is going to pitch a shutout. So I think that for Josh Allen making his second career start, and the lads are thirsty today. Um, yeah, I just think that Josh Allen going against this defense where Mike Zimmer likes to throw in a bunch of different looks. You know that the Vikings have seven cornerbacks on their depth chart? They do switch up the, the coverages more than regular teams switch up their pass rushes. So, honestly, I like the Vikings, and I'm pretty co- confident in that. I cannot physically bring myself to take a team who is giving 17 points. I like the Bills here, getting 17. Uh, you mentioned that the Vikings only have given up an average of about 17 points this year, but they've only averaged about 26.5. So that's about 9 points right there, 9.5. So you get the 17.5 when you look at the averages. That kind of evens out. Um, well, not evens out. That's a stupid thing to say. Um, <laughs> it doesn't even out. If it even No, out. not at all. <laughs> but uh, it get 17 would put them obviously over the 9.5. 17 is... Higher than nine, in case you guys. <laughs> is it first just, just really quick though? That that twenty six points per game is this year, which is two weeks young. <laughs> um, I get another thing that I like about the Bills in this situation is the Vikings have the Rams next week, the hottest team in uh, in the league right now after their first two games. Um, so I think that this could be a classic win by fourteen, win by two scores, get in, get out, don't get anybody hurt, take out Cook, Thiel, and Diggs in the fourth quarter, um, and just get a, a nice fourteen point win and move on to LA. So I have a couple of stats here, kind of bring a different perspective in here. Obviously, a lot of you gentlemen and ladies are involved in a survivor pool, whether it be at work or with your friend group or whatever. If any team, I got all the stats in front of me here, so this is not really an opinion. I think this is quite an incredible stat. Straight up, when the team that is favored by 15 or more goes up against, obviously, a team that is a huge dog, they are roughly around 40 and 0. So that's basically saying after two possessions, um, it's a joke. No one can even come close to winning straight up. However, when we go on the other side here and we look at just covering, 
it's about 50-50. So the bookmakers kind of know what they're doing here. I know it sounds like 17 is huge, so you're inclined to go automatically in week three. You want to take plus 17 here for the Bills. Um, I'll be taking the Vikings, but uh, I'm not going to actually throw anything real on it. I'm just going to take them in my survivor pool. I'd imagine 75% of people in survivor pools will be uh, will be taking this. And to go with both your points, I don't think that two weeks of this season kind of has as much of a bearing for week three, considering that we, we had a lot of preconceived notions for week one. Then Team X beat Team Y, who is not good, but then Team Y beats Team Z, who we thought yeah, was there's good. there's not enough of a resume. Yeah, and then X plays Z, and we're like, wait a minute, but I thought they were good, but now they're not good. And it's like, there's so much back and forth. I think we need to wait on that stuff. Yeah, all of that's great points. Honestly, um, I completely agree, and this is kind of why, and you're going to hear in the Daily Fantasy segment, that I don't really like any of the Viking starters in this game, mainly because it's too unpredictable what's going to happen. Like you had said, Joe, they could go out to a good 25-point lead and then just kind of sit on the ball the rest of the game. It's not good for not really. Guys. So if you really think about it like this, again, I have the Vikings in my survivor pool as well. I'm going strong week three, going to win that 10 Gs, and then I'll post that winning ticket. That's going to be a big one. But it's one of those things where the Vikings don't care if they win by 17. They just want to win the game. So... It is one of those things. It, I, of course, I'm not in love with the 17 points as well, but it's something that I'm comfortable enough doing because look at what the Ravens did to them week one. Um, even the Chargers last week, you saw a little bit of they went out to an early lead and then the Bills started getting some of it back against the backups. So that's only the little bit of the handicap where it is a little bit. Um, it's not as much of a lock as it would be as it would have been if it was like nine points or something like that. Yeah. If the Vikings win, I'm sorry, if the Vikings lose straight up, it'll literally be the first time in history mm-hmm. uh, that a 17-point favorite will lose straight up. Yeah, if you're not taking the, the Vikings in your survivor pool, I'd love to know who you are taking. Yeah. because Like I said, a, it's got to be about pick. 75%. <laughs> I mean, I could see people maybe going Packers, Patriots, we'll get to some of those games, but yeah. maybe the Bears. this is all of our pick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the Bears, mm-hmm. uh, against, Bears against the Cardinals. Card- yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's something else um, that we kind of look for too, over here at the podcast, is that we maybe not necessarily bet on teams, but bet against different teams. As the season progresses, you're going to see a lot more of that. Like, the, if the Bills are really this dumpster fire that they look like, or the Cardinals right now are the worst team in football, if they look like that throughout the season, I mean, you bu- you better pony up on whoever they're playing. Next, you got New Orleans at Atlanta. Atlanta, three-and-a-half-point favorites. Atlanta, rebound game. They won last week. I was big for them against the Panthers. So, a division, they got another division game this week. New Orleans got something to prove. Obviously, they haven't really looked that great the first two weeks. Uh, so, Mikey, you got some thoughts on this? Yeah, I like the Saints plus three here. Um, everybody always talks about the Saints being a bad road team, but they're actually 14-5 or five against the spread over their last 19 road games. Uh, also, the public will probably be fading uh, the, the Saints here after... Uh, losing in their survivor pools, and then you know they almost <laughs> lost. They should have lost to the Browns. Really, the, the public's um, mad at them. So yeah. <laughs> so when the public is fading something, I fade the public. So I will be taking the Saints plus the three here. Falcons defense is banged up with their only two Pro Bowlers out again. I believe uh, Neal's out for out indefinitely. Yeah. Deion Jones is out. Yeah. Also indefinitely, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I really think that those two factors are, are the biggest things here for the Saints plus yep. three. Yeah, even again, you can even say that, okay, well, yeah, Atlanta are a good home team. I mean, they're not a stout defense, and we take the fact that they got, again, Jones and Neal out against a team like the Saints who can't air it out. Breeze is still a great quarterback, and Michael Thomas has had two great weeks, record-setting weeks. He's on pace, yeah. I think, to shatter the reception record. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to kind of add that in before Joe. Yeah, yeah but we've already seen that last week. Yeah. They were missing Neal and uh, what's-his-face last week as well, and mm-hmm. the Panthers... Uh, they didn't do anything. 
So and, and then you look at their first game. Um, the, I'm sorry, excuse me. The, the Saints' first game against the Bucks. Yeah, they they lit up the Bucks, and then they didn't really do anything against uh, an average defensive Browns team. So mm-hmm. I think that the Falcons are on par with the Browns. I think this is going to be uh, Falcons by three here, just because the Saints. I think they're often. I think if they were named the New Orleans whatevers, mm-hmm. everyone would be like, oh, they're they're just an okay offensive team. But with the fact that they have the Saints lore behind them, where the Saints have always been a good offensive yeah. team. Uh, I think that that kind of gives them an unfair advantage. I think that the Falcons minus three at home, they're greatly missing Ingram. We talked about that pre-show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't really mm-hmm. get said enough. Really, the carries in the NFL have gone down so much. They can't run in between the tackles. I think that really favors the Falcons in this situation. The Saints D is also horrendous. Let's not sleep on that either. Yeah, and I think that's been the biggest shock of the season so far, is that the Saints defense is really not good. Yes. Um, last week, the, the Browns, they, they handed them golden opportunities to win that game multiple times. Uh, the Saints did not cover the point spread of 9.5. They just are, they don't look capable of anything. And that's two games at home yeah, just that they look awful. Yeah, 0-2 at home. Yeah, so in my mind, they're 0-2. Yeah. Because they, they cost me that spread last week. But anyway... I think that for the Saints, it's starting to now become... I thought... I chalked up week one totally to a fluke. All right, Ryan Fitzpatrick, he's not going to be that. Mm-hmm. Um, the Saints defense is not going to be that. They just kind of got caught with their you know, with their backs turned. Whatever. <clears throat> now I'm starting to look at it, and maybe this is kind of more of the, of the norm. I mean, last year, if you really look at it, they didn't really have much success early in the season. I think they were 0-2. Yeah, they started 0-2. I think, started, I think started, four and out of the five last year is 0-2. in the last first two games yeah, yeah. of each year, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's one of those things where the Saints are notorious slow starters, and if you even look at last year's success, they didn't even know Alvin Kamara was this player until like week six. Yeah. So I think that maybe part of the handicap, and for um, clarity's sake, I am taking Atlanta at home with the points, because I just think that the Falcons are just an overall more complete team right now, where the Saints are still kind of reeling from two home shots, mm-hmm. really. That's what it was. They got punched in the face at home twice by a team that... At this point in the NFL, if you lose to the Browns, you ought to be embarrassed. Yeah. They're one. They're one of thirty-two and one in the last two and two Change, years and yeah. two games. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where now losing to the Browns is a, a huge mark on your record of wow, what what happened? So I think for the Saints, I, I still see them reeling a little bit. Joe, like you said, love your take about <laughs> Mark Ingram. Um, I've actually tried to trade for Mark Ingram because I definitely wanted him in the draft, but I got caught snoozing. So, um, yeah, I definitely think Mark Ingram's the guy that makes a tick. Like you said, with the carries being lower, that's really the way that you help um, a staggering team. So if I'm Sean Payton, I'm going in there, I'm running my, my backup running back to Kamara, I'm running Kamara, I want to keep the ball out of Matt Ryan's hands, mm-hmm. I want to hold the time of possession, get my defense rested to you know really gear up, and when they're on the field, be explosive. If Mark Ingram comes back as a, uh, a running back as well as a corner, maybe he can help <laughs> because uh, the Saints D really needs it. They've given almost they've given up almost 900 yards, and that was against the the uh, the offenses that you mentioned, Dean. And now they're going up against the Falcons, who did uh, 30 plus points to the Panthers, who mm-hmm. we agree has a good front seven, all that, and they did that with no Freeman. So mm-hmm. you look at okay, they were at a disadvantage in that game, one outright by seven, I think it was, and now they're going up against a silly Saints D team. They're the Saints of two, three years ago defensively. Mm-hmm. I still think this is a must-win for the Saints here. They so don't want to. They don't want to start zero and three. Um, yeah, and they won last week. Yeah, but or, like uh, they want to start one and two. Sorry, the, I, forgot t- I mean technically week. they won. Wait, did they did they tie it? No, the Browns didn't tie twice. No, <laughs> no. no I, there was a part of me that was hoping that the Browns would go zero zero and sixteen. <laughs> yeah, I just think that the Saints are. They, they've always 
all the games, uh, Saints-Falcons, have always been shootout type of games. I think that favors the Saints with uh, Drew Brees and not Matt Ryan because he's not that good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, that week one, he was throwing ducks. Oh. Like, how did the Falcons get 450 yards this game and lose? They yeah. shut down an offense. Well, done I, it I, I can't keep saying. Yeah, so we all. I think we're all in agreement that it's going to be kind of a shootout because one defense is really injured and the other team looks like they can't play defense or they forgot how to cover people. So speaking of shootouts and people putting up big numbers, we got the Chiefs at home against the 49ers. Patrick Mahomes is on a record pace. He has ten touchdowns in two games. He had six touchdowns last week. And this guy looks like he's the greatest player he's ever. He's putting up Madden yes. numbers. He's insane. Like on rookie, though. So the, <laughs> so the Chiefs are giving 7.5 points at home. Uh, guys, what do you think about this one? So I, I got a cool stat here, actually, on Mahomes first. He's he's the number one quarterback in NFL history uh, with touchdowns on his first three games. And he also got zero on the first game. Mm. So that's really cool. He has ten <laughs> touchdowns in the first three games, and he spotted every quarterback one that game. has ever lived. One game. I'll give you this game, dude. <laughs> that's pretty incredible. But with that, I, you know, it's a very public thing to say Patrick Mahomes, best quarterback of all time. Yeah, yeah. But it's a that's very... That's a Ron Jaworski take. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. very sharp <laughs> to look at that and go, obviously he's not the best quarterback of all time. Yeah. It's quite early to say that. Do you think he's going to get ten touchdowns every three games? No. Of course not. Still think he's good, but uh, this is a, a very high-level uh, guy here, or very high-level performance that a good quarterback is playing. Um, going up against a Niners team that is just average to below average defensively. Mm-hmm. However, seven is uh, a bit high. That's a whole touchdown. Obviously, they're very capable of doing it. I actually like the total here. I like the total um, going hitting the over here. And that's exactly <laughs> – so to that point, the – the line of total points is 56.5, and, and I actually, as soon as I did any research for the week, I went straight to this game and said, all right, what's the over? And I didn't care what it was, and I just took it. Yeah. Because last week, their their game against Pittsburgh was 80-something, right? It was... 80 oh, yeah, the total one. one of or 79. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so the, the Chiefs put up points, and they get yards mm-hmm. in... Bunches. In insane fashion. Mm-hmm. I think a part of it is the Mahomes um, having that one year in the Andy Reid system to kind of learn and just watch Alex Smith and how a professional is supposed to be. The thing that's most impressive about Patrick Mahomes is that he doesn't have the sh- quote-unquote strong-arm quarterback syndrome, which is something that we've seen with Bortles, Culpepper, just guys that are like, I can make every single throw because their whole life playing out in the yard with their mom and dad, they can make every they can make every throw because mm, yeah. you know their sister's not running a four two forty to pick it off. <laughs> so it's their mom. So a lot of times, yeah, exactly. Granny's not gonna gonna go and put their hands up for it. So it's one of those things where like um, a lot of times guys like that with that similar build go to the NFL and then get shocked because they're they're balls that they can't fit in there. So I think Mahomes is most impressive trait is that he's not forcing things mm-hmm. now going on the other side of the coin for san francisco do you know who's in the top three of rushing yards this year matt Breida. matt, matt Breida. Breida. yeah i think he might be leading. i think he i think he leads so matt Breida has 184 <laughs> yards of rushing in the in so far through two weeks he's leading the league in rushing now of course you take that with a grain of salt it's only been two games and that's, he had that one that's great 84 yeah. Yard <laughs> rush. yeah yeah but he's running he's running with something to prove and the chiefs defense i mean they gave up 37 last week they they're not Amazing. So I think that the over is pretty strong here. <laughs> I think this uh, both of these teams can come back to earth in terms of Brita's rush yards, as well as obviously the touchdown play here from yeah. Holmes. But uh, I don't think it's this week. I still like the over here. I think this is a classic. Um, going back to the the Chiefs giving seven, this is a classic overrated underrated uh, with the with the, the teams here. The Chiefs are a little bit 
overrated based on you know their power rankings just because they look so great uh, on offense. But I mean, to be fair, they beat a, a struggling—not a struggling Chargers team, but you know, a Chargers team that never shows up for division games or big games in general. And then they beat a struggling Steelers team. Um, they're still very good. Mahomes still looks great, but they're a little bit overrated in terms of power ranking wise. 49ers, on the other hand, are very underrated. Um, after <clears throat> you know, they were in that game with the Vikings. Uh, it was closer than the scoreboard showed. They dropped the touchdown pass. Um, there was that drop pass by Kittle and then a pick six right after. So that game could have easily been covered by the Niners. And then last week, uh, it was kind of a garbage time scenario where the Lions kind of backdoor covered. Uh, they wound up only beating the Lions by three, even though the spread was six and a half, and they were kind of dominated that game if you actually watched yeah. it. Yeah, I see those as actually huge red flags, though. Um, the fact that the 49ers don't have that killer instinct, the, the step-on-your-throat-so-to-speak mentality where they could put away teams. I mean, they were beating the Lions, what, 30-13 to 13 at one point? It's one of those things where that's a huge red flag to me that they can't finish, you know, kind of finish and control the ball, even though they have the guy that leads the league in rushing. So I think that the 49ers maybe aren't on the same level as the Chiefs right now, especially going into Arrowhead. Um, I believe this is the Chiefs' home opener? No? Or were they home last uh, week? I think... Yeah, it was in Pittsburgh last yeah. week. Okay, so, so yeah, this is the Chiefs' home opener. Nice. Um, <laughs> this is the Chiefs' home opener against the 49ers traveling again. I think that they still have some things to figure out, although they are going to be a very good team um, You know, going down into the deeper parts of the year. So... Yeah, I just I, I just kind of really think that the 49ers are, yes, underrated, but not quite there yet to, to compete with the Chiefs. Definitely maybe a backdoor cover situation, but I, I don't necessarily see it. Yeah, I would definitely pass this game just because the, the Niners are also 6-14-1 against the spread against teams with a winning record. So, I mean, they could beat up on the Lions all they want. Uh, and it's just not again when they play any teams that are any kind of have any kind of talent, they really don't show up. All right, so moving right along, we have Oakland at Miami. Miami are three and a half uh, point favorites here. So, um, guys, what do you what do you make of this one? I actually like the Dolphins here minus three. Um, again, as we mentioned in other episodes, Vegas gives usually three points to home field advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're saying pretty much that the Dolphins and the Raiders are equal, which I disagree with. Uh, the Dolphins have played better in both of their games and the Raiders have. Raiders have played good in the first half of both games and then kind of trailed off at the end. That's going to come into play big here, um, especially Raiders West Coast coming east. They got the body clocks. Also underrated, they're going to be in their black uniforms, black uniforms in the Miami Heat. They're going to be dying out there, especially in the second half. I could, I would also like to pl- uh, take the under here. I believe it's 43 and a half. I think this is going to be a real 20 to 10 type of game. Yeah, so going to introduce a new element that introducing a new segment this week um picking an underdog each week out of the games to kind of win outright even though they're the underdog and i picked oakland mainly because they have gruden who gave up an embarrassing lead last week to the broncos and if you look at him after the game he was seething i really think that after this week he really drilled it into his guys that you know you have to finish the game strong the offense is actually a little bit bigger uh, a little bit better than what they've shown so far. I know week one, they were kind of hanging in there with the Rams, which Mikey said earlier is the hottest team in football. That was a tight game. They were really playing hard. Um, last week, they were they should have won that game. All they had to do was play defense. So now Oakland is actually top five in the league in ball control. They are going to be drilled a little bit harder for not turning the ball over, protecting the ball, playing defense. You know, the core essential mid-90s ideals. Yes, I agree, Mikey, that the, the Dolphins, you know, making them wear black, especially traveling east, that's always tough, We especially for a 1 o'clock kickoff. That's always tough for the, for the teams to overcome. But 
I think that Miami is playing almost too well for me to kind of take them seriously right now. I mean, they played the Jets, albeit on the road. It's a division game. So, you know, you know them already. You're, it's not a lot of um, prep work in that sense. Then the first game was at home, and that was the weird lightning delay game where it took seven hours for them to actually play the entire game. So I like Oakland, um, of course, getting the points, but I actually put a little bit of something on them to win the game outright, mainly because I don't see John Gruden going... 0-3 0-3 and having an embarrassing record this year, his first year back. I think that he is screaming at everyone in the locker rooms to get this one back, and they're playing a kind of a weaker opponent that they can maybe steal one here. I have two questions to pose to you guys. Uh, first question, do you think Derek Carr is better, not all-time or anything like that, just this season, who would you rather have, Derek Carr or Sam Donald? Derek Carr. All right, so Derek Carr. Derek who Carr. would you rather have? Derek Carr as well, Derek Carr as well Mikey? Yeah. Um, Tannehill or Jared Goff? Goff. Goff. By, by a million. That's not even close. Do you know how Tannehill threw for 4,000 yards three years in a row? That's great. But I test. <laughs> Goff, I mean, Goff with the bad coach looked horrible also. Yeah. I think a lot of his success has to do with McVay. I, I think that for me, this game is people are, are kind of fading the Dolphins' offense. They run the ball really well. And uh, Tannehill is not uh, coming off the knee injury like people thought he would. I don't think he's playing poorly at all. I think you can look at the stats against some pretty decent... Uh, defensive team. I mean, the Titans were, like you said, the, the, that kind of is a wash because of that game mm-hmm. uh, with the whole rain and lightning situation. But the Jets have always had a pretty decent defense. It's young. They fly around. I think he would not, he didn't pick them apart. He didn't Brady them to death. But on the road, uh, I think they handled the Jets pretty well. And then when you go back to the uh, to the Raiders, so that's a, an advantage for the Dolphins, in my opinion. And you look at the Raiders' side, um, I think they kind of got picked apart by a quarterback who... I'm, I wouldn't say that he's... I would say he's probably Tannehill-ish. I don't think Jared Goff and Tannehill are that big of a discrepancy. But um, going going forward here, when, when you take a West Coast team going to an East Coast team, uh, I really, especially at a 1 o'clock start, I really like the Dolphins here. Only having three at home. I don't think the Raiders are ready for this. Yeah, honestly, those are all great points. Um, you know, uh, I'm not a Raiders fan. I'm not, I'm, not, uh, I'm not painting my face or anything like that. Um, but I will say this, though. I... You know, you heard my reason. You heard the Hoff Bros reasons. So now it's up to you, humble listener, to figure out where you're putting your bankroll. Um, again, I could just see them uh, poking away and stealing one. But if you're more comfortable with the handicap that the the Hoffman brothers provided, then you know maybe look at the Dolphins. Next up, Indianapolis at Philadelphia, who are six and a half point favorites. Carson Wentz is coming back. Guys, just what do you guys think of this one? Obviously, obviously Philadelphia are the favorites at home, probably good home home team. Excuse me, but in do you see anything with with Carson Wentz coming back? Any concerns with him coming back and how that's going to affect the way they move the offense? Yes. So uh, I'm going to start with this one. So <laughs> the fact that they're home is the only reason why Carson Wentz is starting. And the fact that they mm-hmm. lost to Tampa Bay last week is another reason why they're kind of accelerating Wentz up. It's kind of like in our divisional preview episode when I kind of brought up the fact that their opening schedule is kind of tough. I think that they wanted to do exactly what the Bills are doing, what the Browns or what the Bills were trying to do, what the Browns are doing, what the Cardinals are doing, where they have their guy behind another quarterback who's basically a punching bag, and they want the hard games and the hits and the stuff early in the season to happen to this punching bag that they don't care about, like the Nick Foles, the Sam Bradford, the the Tyrod Taylor. I mean, you know, he did what, he he served what he did. I mean, he he won the Super Bowl. That was great. No one's taking that away, but this is 2018, and he's just not very good. They lost to the Bucs, who are on fire, albeit, and that was on the road, but I definitely think that they're kind of accelerating up the Wentz, and to address your question, if you look at the way he runs, 
it still doesn't look good. I mean, no, he's, I still kinda, he's still kind of he's still kind of limping, yeah. and that braces his entire leg. He does. He doesn't look confident. Run. It's easy to run around when it's like you're, no one's chasing you. You got the red shirt in practice, exactly. and it's just okay. But when you have pass rushers come, you're feeling the pressure, and you're game you're, speed. You have to escape the pocket to kind of you know, extend the play. He get to your point. He just doesn't look like he is. At- so I really think that Carson Wentz, his game and a lot of the film is actually him as a runner a little bit more than you'd think. Like, oh, Carson Wentz, you know, he's big, he's white. All he does is move around in the pocket. <laughs> he's not like that. No. He actually does run, and yeah. he got hurt running for the end zone, right? So I think that's this big element of his game taken away. That'd be like if Tyrod Taylor didn't have legs, you know, then he would be <laughs> not in the NFL. He would be in a hospital because he <laughs> wouldn't have legs. No, but it's one of those things where it's something that he relies on as a, as a weapon. Mm-hmm. So playing him is actually a little bit easier. Now, it's pretty good that they're playing the Colts because they're right. not a great team. Although I will say last week, they played pretty well. Mm-hmm. They kind of handled the Redskins, who were having their home opener. They played some pretty good defense. Um, they played primarily zone, and they were kind of trapping a veteran like Alex Smith into throwing some balls that he wasn't really uh, comfortable with. So then once he started getting that pressure, he was just checking down on every play. Look for a lot of checkdowns for Carson Wentz to ease him back into the right. offense. Yeah, I actually like the under here more so than the, uh, the total. I would kind of lean Colts getting this. Uh, I, did, I think it's up to seven now. Um, I think I'd lean Colts. They haven't actually looked that bad, mm-hmm. um, the Colts. Yeah. But also, I mean, just to the, the underplay, at 47.5, the Eagles are so banged up. This is Wentz's first game back. They're not going to open up the offense. They're without Jeffrey again. I think Ajayi's missing this game as well. Yeah. Sproles is out, I think. Um, they just lost another receiver for the year and had to sign Jordan Matthews. Yep. They got Jordan um, Matthews back. The scrap heap. <laughs> um, oh. Their defense is still is still pretty much all healthy, but, I mean, you know, they're not going to – they're not going to go over with a good defense. Mm-hmm. They're going to go under with a good defense. Plus, the Colts, Andrew Luck still can't throw the ball downfield. Um, so I think that there's going to be lots of high school-type offense and checkdowns uh, out of this The school. clock will be running. Yeah, yes. absolutely. And that, that's actually a great thing. I, I didn't realize it to that level, so I probably will be taking the under as well. But watching the film on the Colts last week, they run a very high school-style offense. The one play that they kept on utilizing was Nakeem Hines lining up in the slot running a fake jet sweep where he didn't even sell it. He was nowhere near Andrew Luck. <laughs> and then Luck was throwing slants. So the model for the Colts is to get the ball out quick. Slants. Um, to protect Luck. You know, yeah, slant, yeah. check down, get, throw it away. That's kind of their offensive model right now. I will say, though, that Nikeem Hines actually looked pretty good last week running the ball. So that's a little bit of um, an added bonus, but I just don't see it happening this week. I think the Eagles at home... With Carson Wentz back, they're going to rally around him, kind of their hometown hero. That crowd is going to be obnoxious. I think that there's no, no way. <laughs> I, I just think that there's no way that the Colts even hang in there. So you're you're saying uh, I, I like the Eagles? Cover? Yeah, okay. I like the Eagles here. Expanding off of one of Mikey's points, uh, the Colts are a little better than we're kind of giving them credit for. It. They they had a game winning drive that they lost uh, to a Jack Doyle fumble against the Bengals, who turned out to be actually pretty decent. I think the Colts have an underrated coaching staff, and I was. Uh, known to bash the Colts' front office, yes. coaching staff, pretty well, much everybody. Jim Mercer is still a drug addict in a weird He really is. He's a really it's bad guy. Leads the league in DUIs. <laughs> That's pretty crazy, man. <laughs> He's got six. The next run up is zero. Dante Stallworth has something to say. I was say. That, yeah. Dante Stallworth is rolling over in his grave if he's dead. I don't know. He probably is. He's rolling probably. over in his bed. He's rolling <laughs> over somewhere. Yeah, right. So I think the Colts are a little better than we're giving them credit for. I think uh, you guys both have the Eagles here. I actually, pro- I'd probably lean Colts here. Yeah, I um, just I think seven is a big total for it, especially w- if I'm taking the other. I think it's going to be a low scoring. I game. was agreeing mm-hmm. with Dean's Wentz point. That's why I thought you were going to take uh, the Colts here, Dino, because I was just a little concerned. I, it's obviously going to be yeah. a huge motivational edge, especially with the mm-hmm. fans. 
Not you know, not saying that the team won't play well around them. Of course they will. But uh, I think that the Colts are a lot better than we're giving them credit for. And that's a big uh, dog number here. And I think Carson Wentz just does not play up to par. Next, we have Green Bay at Washington. Now, this is an interesting one. I know these guys have a lot to talk about. But this one, Green Bay, two-and-a-half-point favorites um, on the road to Washington team, who I think there's a lot of people that are probably kind of mixed on how they are. Again, we all know Alex Smith's a good quarterback, um, and he's definitely a... Uh, a guy who can definitely do you know positive things in Washington with that team who really have been in need of again I'm not trying to say anything it's like against Kirk Cousins because as a Vikings fan and sitting mm-hmm. next to one here we love him but I think again they get a little bit of a different look a game manager someone like Alex Smith um, to kind of you know steady that team and ultimately uh, get them where they need to be going moving forward so guys uh, what do you guys think of this one I think the Redskins are way overrated. I think that the game against the Cardinals is blowing everything completely out of proportion. They got kind of dominated by the Colts last week at, at home. So I don't think that the game against the Cardinals just throw that game completely out. Anyway, uh, Redskins 0-7 against the spread, coming off a home game. Um, I'd love to know what their record is coming off a home game where they got blown out by an average team. <laughs> yeah. So, again, with Aaron Rodgers, he's probably the best quarterback in the league passing-wise. So they're going to put up a lot of points, as they always do. I don't think the road game really matters that much here. Uh, I think he's kind of road-proof, if you will. I was, oh, man, I, I wasn't going to say road-proof, but I was going to highlight that. <laughs> you really think Aaron Rodgers is going into Washington? Oh, no, the Redskins. <laughs> he doesn't care where it is. The Redskins fans are going to boo the Redskins when they start losing. That's and what went, they do. Yeah, and, and I think we might have been a part of that, actually, one time. Yes, We've we been to a Redskins game, and we were just mm. letting both teams have I wore my Clinton Portis jersey. I actually have one. It's awesome. <laughs> Very cool, man. So, like, look, Aaron Rodgers, everyone talks about his, uh, his the knee issue. He came back in the game and then played a game after. Yeah, it might be sore, but he's fine. What's, who are we kidding? Yeah, it was he's a bone bruise. And, anyway. and he took the Vikings to OT on the road. I mean, that's the Vikings are the best team in the league. Yeah, and, great, yeah, and the Vikings should have should have beat him. We know what the kicker situation yeah, yeah. was mm-hmm. like. Um, but the Packers also had that one, uh, the roughly passer, Clay Matthews call. Yeah, yeah. That was kind of an issue, and people seem to be crying about that. Um, it's, it is what it is. It's a, people say it's cheap or whatever, but that's the rule now. Yeah. But regardless, that was a close game against a team that can uh, be kind of a Super Bowl contender, and I think that they annihilate of the Redskins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I have a couple stats on the Redskins. Um, again, I completely agree with what you were saying, that the Redskins are getting overrated because of that Week 1 game. I also think another team uh, that runs with the Schmaltimore Schmavens <laughs> are also getting that. when they that well, the this team, well, this, uh, I wonder what team that could be, but wow, they won 47-3. to Come on, they played against a horrible team. So I think that the Redskins um, playing literally one of the worst teams in football is really overrating their line. So this game should be more. This game should be a touchdown. Yeah. Um, you know, hate the Packers, but <laughs> I have Rodgers this year in fantasy, so I'm kind of softening a little bit in my old age. It's one of those things where I just think that the Redskins, um, the same handicaps that I had when I picked them at 1-15 kind of exist. Um, Adrian Peterson actually looks a little bit rejuvenated, but like Mikey had said, last week they played in that very building and got beat by a much worse Colts team, and they didn't score a touchdown. So some stats on this. They're home underdogs. They're 27-30 and 30 against the spread since 2003. They're actually 8-8 eight and eight since uh, Jay Gruden took over. So maybe he kind of um, inspires the troops a little bit more to kind of play the Packers a little bit tight. So maybe that's why the line is a little bit lower than we would expect. Um, maybe you could even say if Peterson had a heart and mind, oh, I played against the Packers so much, I, I want to play good against that. I don't, honestly, he doesn't care. He's a, a bad guy. So I definitely see it like this, right? The Redskins' offense is literally just uh, dink and dunks. It's Chris 
Chris Thompson, their guy, this dig and dunk West Coast kind of style of offense plays very well against the Packers' porous linebackers. But then again, I mean, it's the Packers, it's Aaron Rodgers. The Redskins' defense, I watched the game film of the Colts' Redskins, and T.Y. Hilton made Josh Norman look like he doesn't belong in the NFL. That's T.Y. Hilton, who I put as, like, I don't know, my 20th best like wide <laughs> yeah, receiver. Yeah. Like. T.Y. Hilton is giving Josh Norman these fits? Like, I don't know. Just imagine what the plethora of um, receivers are going to do to the secondary. I comfortably like the Packers with the points. Uh, that's the first time I've ever said I like the Packers. But, <laughs> oh, man, that's going to be clipped. <laughs> but, no, it, it's definitely something that I think that you could uh, you could definitely put your money on that, and it's not a big deal. Yeah, I will take Aaron Rodgers over Alex Smith every single day of the week until I'm blue in the face. All right, for, so for Cincinnati at Carolina, we're actually going to have Dave give us his insight and uh, his handicap on this one. Here's a play I really like this week, and it's going to go against the grain or at least conventional wisdom or at least against the public. The Cincinnati Bengals over the Carolina Panthers. Look at the Panthers. They beat Dallas. They put up 16 points. Panthers lost at Atlanta, who has an offense, but Atlanta is pretty banged up right now. Panthers leading rusher in those two games. Cam Newton, Cam Newton. Big time red flag. Cincinnati has an offense and a defense. They came back on the road to beat the Colts, who proceeded to come home with a pretty impressive road win at Washington. Bengals beat the Ravens far worse than the final score showed, and that was a game everyone had the Ravens winning after the Bengals ended their season last year. Dalton's the hot quarterback, 64% completion rate through two games, one pick, six TDs. Mixon's out. Bernard will be fine. 4.2 career average, and he's a great receiver out of the backfield. I also also think he'll be able to help pick up the blitz probably better than Mixon might. Panthers let Atlanta run for 170 yards with Taven Coleman leading the way, so I'm not too concerned with Mixon being out. Newton had to throw 45 times at Atlanta. 3.9 yards per pass against the Cowboys. Not cool. Bradbury and Jackson in the Panthers' secondary Cannot cover LaFell, A.J. Green, and Tyler Eifert, not given the fact that the Bengals have also had extra rest. With the Panthers being three-point favorites, they're saying that they are an even team on a neutral field. I don't think so. Bengals get this done. Dave, I am also pro-Bengals. Anyone else? Uh, I am not pro Bengals. I actually like the Panthers here. Sorry, Dave. I actually look really stupid now because I'm going against a guy who's like 60% percent well, I think this. <laughs> I don't think the I think the Bengals are a little overrated after their win against the Ravens and the Colts. Uh, the both of those, well, not the second game, but the, against the Colts, the the final score was a little misleading. Against the Ravens, they did blow them out, but let's be honest, the Ravens aren't very good. Um, they do have the extra time to prepare, but I don't think Marvin Lewis even knows that. He's so inept. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like the Panthers here. I think they're a better team than the Bengals, and I like them at home. Yeah, it's interesting. I actually wrote down um, kind of the same handicap as you, that they played two bad teams. Um, they got no mixing, but actually Gio Bernard is a very serviceable backup. Even if you call him a backup, he's probably the best pure backup running back in the league. He has 391 yards in the two games that Mixon was out last year. He's a very serviceable running back and also my Madden Ultimate Team running back last year uh, yes. for a lot, of the, a lot of the season running that little screenplay. But getting back to real life, uh, the Bengals' average time in possession is 29 minutes and 31 seconds, a little bit less than half a game, so they're usually letting the other team dictate the pace, which is a problem against teams like the Panthers. Um, I definitely uh, kind of agree with Dave's point that the Panthers 
I don't know. They're not that good. Their defense is pretty bad. I mean, last week they gave up the 31. Week one, they kind of just figured out Dak Prescott and the Cowboys. But that's playing at home. Um, now, it sounds like I'm pretty pro-Bengals. I am actually picking the Panthers in our pool, but then again, it's not something I'm very confident in. So I'm actually going to kind of fade this one in real life as far as betting goes. But for the purposes of our loser has to wear a suit pool, (laughs) I am going to take the Panthers, mainly because I would never bet on Andy Dalton. See, I look at time of possession and I think, wow, the Bengals are literally scoring so quick, they don't have to put together a good drive. If you watch the Thursday night game, and this is the square talking, if you watch a primetime game, ooh, congrats, you'll watch one primetime game. But, like, you First watch... Game, if, you don't, if you don't fall asleep. Yeah, oh, forget about I it. I did. Which I do. During the game. <laughs> Bengals were just kind of running up and down a, uh, a veteran Ravens D, who, of course, we don't really know what the Ravens D is yet because they played the weird Bills. And then the, the, Bengals, Bills. the Bengals with a question mark. So I do think that the Panthers are a bit overrated uh, because they played the Cowboys, who can't really move the ball. We saw what they did against... Um, the Giants as well in week two, which were it was kind of an eh performance. And then we saw what the Giants are capable of, and we know that the Giants are a little under underwhelming. So we look at both teams that played on the Monday night game. Uh, sorry, was it Sunday night? Sunday. It was a night game. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, both teams night. are underwhelming. Panthers beat one of them barely. So it's like, well, the Panthers, that by process of elimination, and I know I'm not reading too much into weeks one and two, I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not putting the hex on the Panthers here. Uh, for the whole season, but I do like the Bengals here big time. I think they're off to an incredible start, and I don't really think that it's that lucky. The key matchup here could be the Bengals' great defensive line with Atkins and uh, Carlos Dunlap against the injury-filled Panthers line. Uh, it'll be interesting to see Cam uh, kind of not running for his life because he's a big boy. He can handle it. But, yeah. I mean, just, you know, he kind of handled it well against the Falcons, but the Falcons don't have that kind of pressure that the Bengals can put up front. So it's going to be interesting to see how he can, if he can stay in the pocket and make good throws, or if he's going to have to use his legs and kind of put himself in harm's way. The Bengals are sneakily built here to uh, to really do well game script-wise and situationally. You have a weak Panthers line, as Mikey said, and then you have uh, the Bengals who don't really hold the ball too long, but they're still 2-0. and So that means they have some kind of at least explosive offense. Mm-hmm. They're not world beaters by any means. So then when you take the Bengals' defensive line against the weak Panthers offensive line, who should be throwing. I think that the Bengals match up super well, uh, and I really do not like the Panthers in this situation. Cam, please forgive me. Tennessee at Jacksonville. Jacksonville giving Tennessee six and a half. Mikey, looks like you want to touch on this one. Yeah, I mean, this game's been taken off of a lot of books just because of the uncertainty whether or not Mariota's going to play, because him versus Blaine Gabbert, there's a big point uh, differential there. Um, Mariota, actually, if, if I was to take, if they did have this up, I would probably take the Jags minus six and a half. Uh, Mariota, if he does play, he can't. He still can't grip a ball. He like, can't feel his hands. Yeah, something. So <laughs> against that D, yeah. yeah you know what's actually yeah, interesting yeah. though about the Titans is, um, of course, as you know, if you've listened to the the podcast, me and Mikey are big Titans buyers. But honestly, I I don't want to pull a Jameis Winston on this one. <laughs> but Blaine Gabbert's a little bit better than people give him credit for. He does everything that a game managing quarterback that you would want. He doesn't turn the ball over. He kind of just. Get, picks up those third downs, but they can rely on this Deion Lewis, Derrick Henry rushing game. Um, they have a chance, but not against the Jaguars. I think the Jaguars are too good. Um, I'm fine with that. You know the stat from week one where the team's from 6.5 to 4.5 points. Um, the favorites usually cover. I think it's 58% of the time. Um, honestly, I would take the Jags because they're home. But then again, it's one of those things where maybe Blaine Garrett gives them a better chance to win. I haven't seen enough of Mariota, and I haven't seen, from what I have seen out of Mariota, I've never seen anything that turned my head and was like, wow, he's good. I've actually never said that when I saw that, and I've said that about 
get uh, about Bortles. I said that about plenty worse quarterbacks on paper than Marcus Mariota. Yeah, Mariota's not even the only injury here. I think Luan might be out mm-hmm. again with the concussion issues. Conklin's had some issues. Derek Henry mispracticed today. Delaney Walker's out for the year. So my Titans love is really looking just horrible. Yeah, it, it kind of got detonated. It, it's not even really your fault. Pretty much just my whole life. Everything I love just goes away. <laughs> Look, wow. <laughs> Look, I'm not a <laughs> I'm not a big believer in like like oops the the luck got me here. Um, you can look at injuries and kind of base last season off of while they were super healthy, and this guy is always injury prone and his back is bad and all that. You can kind of go off of that for the following season. So you're not off the hook. You are a big time loser. I <laughs> didn't think that the Titans would be anything. The season's not over, of course. They're one and one. That division doesn't look like it's awesome. So who knows what they end up doing? But uh, I'm still on the Titans are average train. All right. So I think getting into the next game. Um, it is Denver getting getting five and a half points <laughs> in Baltimore. This are the Broncos are two and zero, oh, and they are the underdogs in Baltimore who are one and one. They looked atrocious on Thursday night, and they beat up on a team that barely had a quarterback. So honestly, guys, introducing another new kind of segment that we're that we're going to be doing. This is my underdog to cover the spread of the week. I actually have real units on them. Winning outright on Moneyline, I think it was like plus 190, which again, why? So, I honestly love the Broncos here. Case Keenum, of course, looks worse than he did last year, because last year he played to the best of his ability ever. Um, their running game is for real. They got Royce Freeman, they got Philip Lindsay, they got Devontae Booker, who's even still handling the ball a little bit. This team is good, and the Ravens, honestly, I don't really see it. Alex Collins, you know, only averages 2.9 yards per carry. Yeah, you mentioned Alex Collins. I mean, the, the Broncos actually, in the past, they had that great pass defense, and they were kind of lax against the run. They're actually looking pretty solid against the run this year as well. Um, the one thing th- that might hinder the Broncos a little bit, I mean, I'm no scientist, but this sounds like it would make sense, right? Uh, both their games have been in mile high. They've practiced in mile high in Denver in the altitude uh, so far this year. Maybe traveling, especially traveling east, going to a lower altitude place like Baltimore could have some kind of effect on their conditioning. I don't know if that actually does anything. Science is non-existent. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I mean, I, I think the jury's still out on science in general. <laughs> yeah, right. But uh, you know, that might have, that might be something to watch. For and this was game. the conspiracy minute on the winning <laughs> ticket podcast. Maybe a little like first half Broncos, and then they kind of tail off late in the game. Yeah, so that might be something too worth looking into. Uh, what the first half line is. If they're getting points, uh, maybe they're going to jump out to that lead, and then it remains to be seen what what happens from there. I uh, totally agree here. I think this is kind of a carbon copy of the Thursday night game. You got a really good pass rush going up against what we saw, what happened to the Ravens' offensive line uh, here in this game. I think the Broncos can win this game outright. So, kind of continuing with the theme, uh, the pass rush is just way too good. Pass rush is one of those things that can really disrupt a game and make you do things that you're outrageously not comfortable with. A good corner can shut down a wide receiver. Cripples your offense, but you can still limp to the end zone. That was really cool. That was kind of poetic, actually. <laughs> but uh, look, a good pass rush kind of ruins everything because you can't really get off the ball. Uh, your offensive linemen are getting beat in the run game. Uh, if you go down even one or two possessions, what are you going to do when you're facing Von Miller and Chubb from the other side? I mean, you know, you can't pass, you can't run. Last time I checked, you need to do both of those things. <laughs> at least win. one of them. Yeah, at least one of them. So uh, the Broncos are, have one of the best defensive lines in the game. I think that they kind of eat them up here. I got them winning outright. Yeah, also another thing to um, kind of mention, their 
the over-under is 43. What do you guys think really about that? I mean, I'm kind of leaning towards the under because of that great pass rush and the fact that the Ravens' offense just hasn't gotten going. Like I had mentioned, Alex Collins, three-point yards per carry. Actually wrote in parentheses, turd. So that's just my thoughts on Alex Collins. Um, I actually didn't realize that. Also, to be to continue my my compliments of the gar- of the Ravens, I actually wrote Joe Garbage, and that is a pure typo that I just didn't realize. I literally. In my mind, the word Flacco is a synonym to garbage. So it's just one of those things where I really like the under here. Um, I also like Philip Lindsay, for what it's worth, mainly because I picked him up in fantasy. So <laughs> one of those things where I really see a lot of ball control and the, that Denver defense really ruining um, the game for Joe Flacco. Giants at Houston. We're going to throw it over to Dave for this one. Here's one I really like, and, and when I make my bets, lots of times I'm betting against teams almost more than I'm betting on them. And the team I want to bet against is Houston. Their football IQ and their coaching is just not something I want to put my money on right now. You look at their game against the Giants this week. People are going to look at the Giants and their performance Sunday night against Dallas. But I first want to look at Houston's football IQ. Houston, when they played the Patriots in Week 1, a clear catch by Gronkowski and a crucial drive right before the half should have been challenged. It should have been challenged for no other reason than to slow the Patriots down. Uh, If it had been challenged, it would have been overturned. Last week, last play of the game for the Texans against the Titans. 14, maybe 17 seconds left, no timeouts. Near midfield, down three. Watson scrambles. He scrambles around so much that by the time he finally throws the ball, the game is over. Seven pre-snap penalties in two games. Can't have it. Let's go back to the Giants. They played Jacksonville to the wire, only lost by seven at home to Dallas. They had more first downs, and they had the ball longer. Against Jacksonville, they had more total yards. Are they an elite team? No. But they lose to a Super Bowl contender by five, lose by one score to a division opponent, and now they're catching six against a winless team that can't think for themselves on any level. That's not factored in, and I like the Giants plus the points. Yeah, so that that's a really good point, and that's actually a re- something that's pretty interesting because I, my mind doesn't work like that, per se, that I kind of bet against teams rather than bet for teams. But let me just give a little uh, summary of what I saw on Sunday night. The Giants have clear-cut offensive line issues. We know. Um, if you live in New York, New Jersey, you definitely know because it's all over Sports Talk Radio. Yeah, hi, Mike. Uh, the Giants just can't protect. I think it's Eli Manning's fault. Okay, thanks. I'll hang up and listen. But it, that's Why not... Why all sound like Winslow? <laughs> exactly. It's Winslow. <laughs> hey, cat dog. <laughs> and that was Winslow. All right. Thank, thank you. I'm multi-talented bookings at dcontrino224 at gmail.com. Anyway, um, I just definitely think that this is totally up to Pat Shermer now. Their offensive line is struggling. They don't run the ball. They don't even try to run the ball. Saquon Barkley has the majority of his touches are in catches. They don't control the clock. They don't care about controlling the clock, it looks like. And they're losing games. So I definitely think that this is something that Pat Shermer needs to sit everyone down and say, look, I know that you're deficient in this, this, and this. I know that our weakness, understanding your weakness is better than understanding your strength. So for what it's worth, I am going with the Giants as well, getting the six and a half. 
similar to what Dave said, Houston isn't that great. They're not moving the needle um, the way that we all thought that they would. Deshaun Watson has a little bit of a curve to get to get back over since the knee injury. But when it comes to the Giants, this is really up to Pat Shermer to sit everyone down and say, look, we're going to change to two-step, three-step drops, get the ball out. Whereas last week what I saw was this. I saw Demarcus Lawrence beat up Eric Flowers. <laughs> Eric Flowers is far and away the worst football player I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. He doesn't move his feet. He doesn't pick up his hands on some plays. Demarcus Lawrence literally would be like if I was pass rushing against a toddler. So, <laughs> whatever. That's fine. If you're going to keep lugging them out there, you got to change the offense a little bit. Let's start implementing some, some outs, some drags, some slants. Get the ball into the receiver's hands and let your playmakers do the job. Get it to Odell. Get it to Evan Ingram. Get it to Barkley and then just sit back and watch. Eli, you don't have to do that much, but the, it's really up to the coaching to get that out of them. So I completely agree. However, my issue is Shermer is a very good football guy. He knew what the problems were coming in, and I think it's almost like the personnel is drowning out his good ability. It's not like he came in and he was like, holy crap, who is that guy? And he's looking at Eric Flowers. He's so bad. I didn't know he we knew. had him. Yeah, he knew <laughs> that Eric Flowers is bad. And there's no, yeah. there's really no adjustments made. And I think that Shermer is a genius. We saw what he did with the Vikings. I mean, the guy obviously knows what to do with no talent. So that means that this team is really, really not talented. And that kind of worries me because I'm a big Giants buyer here. So listening to Dave, um, I'm obviously down on the Texans. But judging by what I just said, I was pro-Texans. So now I listen to... Dave's take, and I'm like, eh, I think I'm probably going to take my official pass on this one. In our pool, I will be taking the Texans just because of the pass rush. Uh, I also think that Watson can move a little bit, and the linebackers for the Giants aren't very good, so I think maybe a possible DFS play uh, for Deshaun Watson, dare I say, and I'm not the DFS guy. You're certainly not, so I will not be playing Deshaun Watson <laughs> in the DFS because you are not the DFS guy. Right. Yeah, I think that this line is a little overblown. I think the Giants and the Texans are way too similar than this line will have you believe. Uh, so that's why I'm taking the Giants, getting the six and a half. I think it should be closer to three. So Chargers, Rams, no Chargers at Rams, the battle for Los Angeles. Now the Rams are seven and a half point favorite on this one. Obviously they're the clear cut. I mean they're they're worth team getting picked to make it to the Super Bowl. So obviously uh, right now they looks like they dominate that area of the of the country, guys. What are we thinking with this one? So actually, I'm going to punt to Dave Essler again to give us a little bit of a handicap on this one. Every week I look and do a little segment called Perception or Reality. And this week I'm going to look at the Chargers and the Rams game. The Rams, who have they beaten? Oakland in the first game at home with the hype of everyone being back for the Rams on Monday Night Football. At halftime, that was a close game. Rams go to defensive TD. Held to four field goals, three of them in a red zone, and that's a red flag for me. Then they beat Arizona and Sam Bradford, who is 34 and 47 as a starter and has never won eight games. Chargers. Perception after the Chargers lost to KC, same old Chargers. Prior to the season, everyone loved the Chargers. Now holding Kansas City to 38 that night looks far more impressive. In that game, they had 33 first downs to the Chiefs' 19. 541 total yards. Some at garbage time, but 541 yards. The Buffalo game was over early at halftime. So the perception here is that the Rams are in the NFC Championship game and the Chargers are once again a 500 team. Both these things may be true in the end, but this is one game and I think the reality here is that there's less than six degrees of separation here. Add that to the fact that 90% of the tickets here on uh, Tuesday night are on the Rams 
Line's still sitting at seven, some places closer to six and a half. Be wary of the Los Angeles Rams. Yeah, so that's a really interesting take. Uh, I, I of course, love the, the Rams hate. Uh, if you listen to the NFC West preview that I had, I actually said that Sean McVay would lose the team at some point. They look fantastic so far. But it's one of those things where the Rams are floating a touchdown. They've been dominant, but playing below average teams. I mean, Oakland on the road, yeah, they played them well the first half. But then... Playing against the Cardinals, the Cardinals are literally like a second bye week. They are awful right now. At this juncture in the season, that was a cupcake game. They didn't even come close to sniffing the other side of the field. So I think that the Rams are actually getting a real test at home against the Chargers who are across town. I think that it's something that will definitely challenge them a little bit more. That's why I do like the Chargers to kind of cover that 7.5. I like the Chargers offense here against a Rams D that kind of hasn't been tested yet. I know we talked about in our preseason shows, um, that's going to be the, the way the Rams live or die. So far, they've lived just because of the talent that they face. I think that was actually our handicap in the beginning. Mm-hmm. If they can start off like 5-1 and one or something like that, the defense is going to be fine. Um, I think this is their first real conundrum that they face. We saw what the Chargers were able to do uh, in Week 1. A lot of guys were open down the field for 30-plus yards, and they just dropped the ball. So you can chalk that up to just week one jitters, week one anything. I think that they, they're they able to connect here a little bit more against the Rams. Uh, I, this is one of my teams that I like the dog to cover here. I think 7.5 is a ton. If you can grab it at 7.5, go for it at 7. Not loving it, but it's still a touchdown like Dean said. Yeah, I also like the Chargers here getting the 7.5. Uh, Phillip Rivers, 24-10 and 10 as a road dog of 3.5 points or more. Um, the Chargers seem to play better on the road just because of their crappy home field. It's like on the road with much, an asterisk. Yeah. Pretty much every game is on the road because their own fans don't even like them. It's going to be on so the road in LA. Right. <laughs> Not mentioning the Battle yeah. for Los Angeles. I don't think anybody cares. Just like that movie Battle for Los Angeles that came out like I forgot that was a movie. And also, I can't I can't let you call Phil Rivers a road dog without calling him a new age outlaw. <laughs> oh, you didn't know? <laughs> Yeah, Melvin Gordon is X-Pop. Yeah. <laughs> X-Pop. Melvin Gordon. Love that. Yeah, so going on, so it's something that we've been kind of harping on the entire episode. Or rather, I've been harping on the entire episode. <laughs> we got Chicago going to the desert. The Cardinals are getting six points. The Bears' pass rush looks scary. I'm taking the Bears pretty confidently. If the Vikings weren't playing a literal Pop Warner team this week, <laughs> I'd have taken the Bears as my survivor pick. I think that this is a guys. This is a no-brainer. The Bears are far and away better than the Cardinals, and all other 31 teams are better than the Cardinals. I think that this is as bad as bad gets. Steve Wilkes has no idea what to do. Ooh. That team is horrendous. They've scored six points in two games. One was at home and the other one in L.A. They sh- they might as well have just forfeited the game. They didn't even get off the bus for it. They have guys like David Johnson, Larry Fitzgerald, Patrick Peterson, and they're making them look like chumps out there. We're seeing something amazing here. We're seeing the Arizona Cardinals improve their actual personnel, and then they get worse because of one guy, and that's the coach. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. They go from 8-8 eight and eight with worse talent, and who knows where they're going to go this year. They are in complete shambles. It's not an overreaction to say that, because um, I think you hear us talk about bad teams, and you're like, oh, man, why are they not overreacting like I, the square, am? Yeah. Well, let us tell you why here. Uh, the Cardinal stats speak for themselves. They made the Redskins look like a bunch of pro bowlers out here, and then we saw what happened to the Redskins last week. They look like 
a JV team. So that shows you how bad the Cardinals are. I don't really get how you don't like the Bears here. I don't really need to do any analysis. Yeah, if like, you've watched, you understand it's the Bears. Yeah, here. I like the Bears here, given six. This is a rematch, if you guys recall, of the They Are Who We Thought They Were yep. game. Of course, R.I.P. <laughs> Denny Green. And it's going to be a very similar game. I can see at least two defensive touchdown, <laughs> touchdowns from the Bears. Absolutely. Khalil Mack is going to... He's gonna, He might kill Sam Bradford. He's going to yeah. He should take some life insurance policies out on himself. Yeah. Um, it's time to go to Rosen. The Sam Bradford experiment obviously isn't working. Uh, he's not talented. They just got to get something new and there's something fresh because it's obviously what they're doing is just not good. Yes. So let me ask one question though. Will Chicago crown him or let him off the hook? <laughs> <laughs> they off, they're going to crown him and they let him off the they hook. Let him off the hook. <laughs> that was RIP Dennis Green. I, I actually have two right. things to add. Um, this handicap of this game actually reminded me of one time I was taking a math test and it was like some complex algebra question. I didn't really know how to answer it so I just wrote Self-explanatory. <laughs> I was like, I got the answers from some kid, and I was like, you know what? Self-explanatory. Whatever. I'm not explaining myself. I don't owe you anything. And also, Dennis Green being inducted to the Vikings Ring of Honor this yes. this week. Uh, um, R.I.P. Dallas at Seattle. Seattle are a one point favorite at. Yeah, I don't think that the uh, either of these teams. I'm just not going to watch this game. Obviously, <laughs> this is, uh, is going to be such a boring game. Demarcus Lawrence and the Cowboys defense are going to get after Russell Wilson because. Uh, they have a bunch of newborn babies on their line. Um, their line is just simply atrocious. Although it is tough to play in Seattle, um, so this is going to be my official pass. Just because, pretty much, I don't want to watch it. I so thought you already had I... an official pass, dude. Did I? <laughs> I thought you had a like Colts Eagles was your official pass. No, no, no. He, 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 took the, he liked the Colts. I'm not taking it. I'm not I pass on every game, and I'm not gambling anymore. No, I actually don't gamble. So, all right. Yeah, it's actually funny. I like. I don't care about the point, honestly. When I see a, a one-point spread, to me, that says pick them. Yeah. How many games actually end in a one-point difference? Yeah. So it's one of those things where I actually like Seattle here, mainly because it's their home opener. That crowd, I mean, they pump in the artificial crowd noise. It gets too loud to hear anything. <laughs> also, I think that kind of in the spirit of uh, the handicaps that Dave gave us, I am not betting for the Seahawks. I'm betting against the Cowboys. The Cowboys are just not that good, honestly. They played the Giants, who couldn't protect... Eli for more than a second and a half. They got, um, of course, you know, everyone draws a comparison. Giants had a bad line. Seahawks have a bad line. There should be money. No, the Cowboys were home in that game. Eli Manning w- looked lost. Literally, there's a me- new meme of him looking <laughs> lost. Yeah. Russell Wilson is not that kind of quarterback. He runs around. He makes it happen. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the games that they played, they were in both of them. Even though the Bears was kind of more of like a backdoor kind of cover kind of thing, um, they were, for the most part, ended pretty close. I think that the Seahawks are going to handle business at home. I think Russell Wilson's maybe going to get a couple things right. I know that the Seahawks aren't going to win many games this year, but I think this is one that they kind of take. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. Um, I think there's a lot of comparisons here, Seahawks to the Giants, just with a poor offensive line, but the only Mm -hmm. difference is Russell Wilson can make something happen with a bad offensive line. Mm -hmm. I think there's pluses and minuses on both sides. I don't really know what I'm getting from both of these teams just yet based off of who they've played, the pedigree, the yeah. injuries they've sustained. Actually, both on the offensive line, so it's kind of funny that... Mm-hmm. I mean, we could see one million sacks in this game. <laughs> who knows? Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those things, too, where the criticism of the Cowboys week one was that they weren't throwing the ball downfield, they weren't throwing outside the numbers. Um, everyone knows that if you throw outside the numbers, it's not so much that you're expecting to complete that play. It's that in the current day in the NFL... 
there's so much that could happen in favor of you where the only negative is that it gets intercepted, right? right. So you right. want to throw outside the numbers at least three or four times. And, of course, for those of you that don't know, that is the field is divided into hash marks. And then a little bit closer to the sidelines, there's actual numbers like the 30, the 40, the 50, etc. Um, if you throw outside of there and kind of downfield, there could be a pass interference, an illegal contact, a defensive holding, an automatic first down. There's so much that could go right for your offense. So that's something that the Cowboys were criticized week one for not doing. So then what do they do against the Giants? First drive, they throw downfield to Taven Austin. What happened the rest of the game? They didn't do that ever again. Yeah, yeah. I think that that was kind of the one. They used it kind of similar to when we play Madden, and we say, all right, that was the one cheap one that we got out of the way. I think that's their one lucky play that they get out of the way. Right, right. And honestly, I don't see them ever doing that again. Prescott looked better as a, as a runner than he did a thrower last week because all they asked him to do was convert on third downs. I think in Seattle, in that hostile environment, possibly down points, they're going to be demanding a lot more of him, and that's where the defense is going to pin their ears back. Also, to kind of support the Seahawks a little bit more, is the Giants completely abandoned the running game last game. So the it's a lot easier for a defensive lineman to just pin their ears back and rush the passer, especially when they line up and they see Eric Flowers across from them. Yeah. Now, if the Giants did something a little <laughs> bit different where they were running the ball and they had some kind of a um, sustainable drive where they could you know, kind of slow that pass rush down, get that defense a little bit winded, then maybe they don't pass rush all out every single down. So I definitely think that having a little bit more of a running game with uh, the Rashad Penny, Chris Carson, Mike Davis, Russell Wilson, they're a much yeah. better... Um, of a team of running the ball, they're going to kind of quell that pass rush and just kind of handle business. So you guys don't have to be an expert on every team, every game. If you don't like it and it looks like a boring game, just don't play it. You could take four or five games a week and end up getting above 50, 60%, like the Dave Esler range. I promise you, I literally have spoken to him before. He doesn't take every game. It mm-hmm. wouldn't make any sense to go, oh, Seahawks minus one, you get all these handicaps and you get both sides and you're like, I don't know what to take. I'll just take the Seahawks. Yeah. I'll just take the Cowboys. Yeah, exactly. That's how you lose money. Joe, to your point, you know, only take the games that you really care about. If something, you know, like what Mikey said, he doesn't even want to watch this game, then obviously don't take anything on it. Last but not least, we got our Sunday night game, uh, New England at Detroit, who are getting seven and a half in this one. Yeah, this is my best bet of the weekend here. I got the Patriots giving seven on the road. Uh, Look, the Patriots have not lost back-to-back games in three years, so obviously they're going to win this one with Belichick and Brady. They just don't lose. You add Josh Gordon, the guy with his skill set into the mix, he's probably not going to play a full snap count because he just joined the team. But he may get a couple of deep balls. Yeah, he may get a few deep balls in there from uh, one of the best quarterbacks ever. TB12, baby. Oh, yeah. Patriots are also 5-0 against the spread after a loss in their last five. Um, Lions defense has conceded 78 total points against the Jets and Niners, so just imagine what the Patriots are going to do to them. Yeah, I think this is going to be the game where they kind of show Matt Patricia like you left and now this is your life, and this is going to be the this is going to be the one where they quote unquote send them to the wall, Game of Thrones style. I cannot agree more with you guys. I think I'll be taking the Patriots as well as the over uh, in a correlated parlay to kind of wrap up the show, like Dean mentioned. Nice. But on the other side here uh, for the over and the favorite rather than the dog and the under. This matchup here with the Belichick-Patricia is like an Anakin Skywalker versus Obi-Wan Kenobi ah. matchup, and Bill Belichick has the high ground. Oh, we all know people are undefeated. And Matt Patricia does not like sand. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, so I think now it's time for a little bit of daily fantasy play. I'm going to go into... Take this moment to brag really quick. Yes. Yeah. So I scored 201 points last week 
Um, I actually don't have my lineup handy, but it was the one that I read on the episode last week. I scored two on one and won a couple units in a in a nice big contest. Also won our little private friends contest. For some reason, only six people join every week. <laughs> um, so as of right now, only me and Mikey are in. So um, yeah, us. so tomorrow I'm definitely gonna. Um, fill up those remaining 10 seats so I could claim more victims. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's one of those things where um, for Daily Fantasy, you want to look for some of the handicaps that we gave you. Um, something that I do as a rule of thumb for Fantasy and Daily Fantasy is I like to think of what teams are going to be winning or for quarterbacks and wide receivers, what teams may be playing from behind. So if you really think about it, like for example, the Vikings-Bills, the Vikings are probably going to jump out to an early lead. So Kirk Cousins, you may not have the value yeah. for what his price is because mm-hmm. he's not going to be in a competitive game. Every time they throw the ball, it's just going to be to keep the Bills honest. But at what point do they you know, take him out of the game to kind of rest him yeah. a little bit? So, Especially against the uh, Rams next week. So that Exactly. So that, that brings me to my first... Um, position quarterback, and we um, highlighted him heavily earlier in the, in the episode. I like Patrick Mahomes. He only costs seven thousand in DraftKings. Going up against San Francisco, I definitely think that this is going to be a shootout type game. So it's going to be even when Mahomes throws his three touchdowns, he's still going to be throwing more because the 49ers might be hanging right there with them. Mm-hmm. So that's something that I look for as far as quarterbacks go. And of course, like I had said in uh, previous episodes, that I don't like to overspend for quarterbacks. He's not the most expensive. He's actually the second most expensive, but <laughs> right behind Aaron Rodgers. So I'm going Patrick Mahomes just because I, you know, you can't argue with that 10 touchdowns in two games. My next player that I have is Jordan Howard. Uh, running back, like we had mentioned earlier in, in the episode, the Cardinals are really bad. And... Actually, Matt Nagy said in an after-the-game press conference against the Seahawks that he needs to get Jordan Howard more fourth-quarter touch- touches specifically. So for Jordan Howard, I really think that he's just going to go off. I mean, if you look at what Adrian Peterson did to them, Jordan Howard is literally younger and um, less miles on his body, so he's going to be really punishing them all game. My running back number two, I got Matt Breida. As we had mentioned, he's the um, leading rusher in the NFL. Now, of course, some of that's a little bit fluky. He had a 60-something yard run last week, but I watched that run, and he looked like a man possessed. He looked like what Jarek McKinnon was supposed to be this year. He is kind of fast. He's kind of big, like low-key big. So I like Matt Breida's skill set, and you know, when the guy is really playing hot right now, why would they go to? So why would you go to the boring three-yard per carry? You know, boring dive, is a good word. The halfback dive guy, and not go to the guy that could potentially get a home run in every play. Um, according to DraftKings, the Chiefs actually have the 31st defense in the league against the run. So Matt Breida is really going to open them up. Uh, look at what James Conner did. Look at what Melvin Gordon did. Of course, Matt Breida is no James Conner. Well, he is probably better than James <laughs> Conner. He's no Melvin Gordon, is what I'm saying. So um, my wide receiver, I got Tyreek Hill. Again, I think it's going to be a big game, and that pairs nicely with Patrick Mahomes. Every catch, touchdown, yard, goes for both of them. So I kind of like to combo that up if I can because I really like that um, synergy where every time they do something, I get both the points. I also like Allen Robinson trying to play them a little bit closer. Maybe playing catch-up um, too, yeah. Allen Robinson, I don't know if you guys watched the game last week, but he literally got like 18 targets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I may be exaggerating, but he probably had 38 catches. I think, yeah. <laughs> I think he had like nine targets in the first quarter or something like that. Yeah, and it's funny because I, 
I had um, Jordan Howard on my team, and a coworker had Allen Robinson. So I was like, and it's a PPR league. So I was like, ah, oh, you know, Jordan Howard scores his two touchdowns. Allen Robinson kind of disappears from the game. I could probably win this. Allen Robinson had like 11 catches, so I got blown away in that one. So I like Allen Robinson because mainly because Trubisky showed that he is a little bit more legit than what people were giving him credit for. And I think that in the first quarter and um, a little bit early in the game, they're going to be throwing and kind of building that lead for Jordan Howard to protect. My last wide receiver, I got Tyler Lockett. I think that, again, Seahawks-Cowboys, going to be a tight game. We just gave you the handicaps for that. Um, I like Russell Wilson last week when he was running around. He's looking a little bit more downfield. I know that he was fighting Brandon Marshall. Brandon Marshall just doesn't have the skill set that Tyler Lockett does. Um, look for them to kind of get a little bit, get rid of the ball a little bit quicker, knowing that this offensive line has some problems, some slants, some drags, some wide receiver screens. That's Tyler Lockett territory. Kind of like him for 5,300. Tight end to carry that. Um, Will Disley actually averages five targets and a touchdown every week. And for 3,300, that is perfect. Just give me give me my five targets. Give me my touchdown. I'm not looking to make up a lot of points with the tight end. But last week in my lineup that I had 201 points, I had Jordan Reed. He got me a solid 9.5. That's fine. Basically, what you want to do if you're joining a large contest is you want to have every guy just not get you zeros. You want to get your, your 9, your 8, your 10s, even if it's someone that you could find some value in. I know last week Laquan Treadwell scored a touchdown. He was probably 3,100. So that's really good value. So that this Will Disley, it's a little bit chalk. But I'm going to go with it because he's so cheap. My final running back, I'm going Corey Clement on the Eagles. Mikey had mentioned that they have a lot of injuries in their backfield. Sproles is hurt, and in other news, grass is green. So <laughs> Darren Sproles is hurt again. Um, J.H.I. Seem- seemingly is always questionable. So Corey Clement's really a scat back, pretty fast, catches the ball, DraftKings is a one-point PPR, so um, that plays very nicely. And then, of course, my defense. Going with Minnesota, they are going to shut out the Bills. You heard it here first. <laughs> Even if the game is only 20 to nothing, and they're all or 21 nothing, and they're three defensive touchdowns, I think the Vikings are probably the most expensive defense I've ever seen. They're 4,300 this week. So I'm okay with fronting that. That was the first thing that I did when I was building my lineup. I went to grab the defensive best matchup that I could find, and that's what I'm taking. So hopefully that's a winner for you guys. If you do win and you're in the same contest as me, we'll tie. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, if you win serious money or if you tweak my lineup a little bit, just, uh, again, screenshot and, and send it to us on Twitter or Instagram, and we'll definitely post it. So, guys, that wraps up week three. We just want to give a big quick shout-out to Dave for coming on and giving us this insight. Thank you, you guys you, are, uh, What a good guy. Yeah, make sure. All right, so, again, we just want to thank Dave for uh, you know, providing his insight there. And, again, of course, make sure you guys are following us on Twitter at winningticketspod, T-I-X, and on Instagram at the Winning Ticket Pod. Guys, thanks for tuning in. See you next time. It's only a gambling problem if you lose. The end. (laughs)